Good to see you. Welcome back. Let's take our seats. Stop enjoying yourselves. Stop being friendly. Stop it at once. Sit down, you naughty people. Good to see you. If you're new here, um, I'm, I'm Joel. We're, we're in the, the book of Matthew, which is uh, uh, the first book in the New Testament, so it's easy to find. And we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount over the last uh, while, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, which means we've been looking particularly at the words of Jesus. We're carrying on in Matthew, and over the next few chapters, it's a little bit less of his words, a little bit more of his ways. And so we, we've called this kind of sub part of the series, the way of the master, the way of the master. But of course, when you're looking at the way of Jesus, you're, you're looking at the ways of no ordinary man. You're looking at uh, the ways of the one that Matthew wants to remind us is Emmanuel, the ways of God, the ways of God with us, God in the flesh. And so we get a front row seat with Matthew, with his, his brilliant narration. We get to see right up close the ways of God. That's why this is such rich material. You don't get to go through a verse of the book of Matthew without being confronted with God in the flesh. And that's, that's really the point of preaching anyway. That's my goal for you today, is that you meet with Jesus I can't think of a better goal. That's why I, I get up here on a Sunday and open the Bible with you. That's, that's why anyone should open the Bible, is to engage in a relationship with a, with a person who has presented himself in our lives, who's interrupted our lives, stepped in. And he wants to step in today. He wants to be with us. He's already with us by his spirit. He will speak to you as we go through the Bible. That's my, my best goal. And as we look uh, at this story that, that begins chapter 8, just four verses, a very short but very potent story about a man who came in desperate need to the Lord Jesus. We see something about how we can enter this relationship with God. We can enter this kingdom. Jesus has been spending chapters ages talking about this kingdom, describing this kingdom, describing this, this kind of realm in which we can know him. And he finished, as you may remember, the sermon talking about the way in, the door, the gate, the narrow path to get entry into this kingdom. How do you get in? Ever tried to get into a club that you can't find the door to or a a shop or, a, or, or whatever, some institution? How do you find, where's the entry? How do you find your way in? Straight after Jesus has preached this message, we see a man finding his way in. And it's the most unlikely of people. But perhaps that's the whole point that Matthew wants to make. He wants to show us in action how someone found their way in. And by extension, how we might find our way in to this kingdom, to this relationship. Uh, so we're going to read it and we're going to pray. But before I do that, I can't resist it. This is a complete distraction, but it, I've got to say a little parenthesis. It is a real privilege to have Alan and Marianne Preston here with us today. <laughs> if, you don't, if you're new with us, you might not know these guys, but they're just dear, dear friends and uh, absolute heroes in this church. Been part of this church for many, many decades, living now in Spain 
and uh, serving God there. And it's just lovely to have you visiting with us. Thank you for being with us. We hope you have a wonderful time. Do not let them leave without hugging them, um, all of you. Um, and I can't, I'm going to do it. My dear friend Adrian Holloway is here as well, which is quite amazing. Just, just to say a big way. I, I, think he's, I think he's trying to be here incognito, and I've completely ruined it. So, uh, but while I'm in the mood of introducing people, it's just great to see you, Adrian. Thanks for being with us. Okay, let's get into this. This is going to come up on the screen as it's read to us, the first four verses of chapter 8. This is a reading from Matthew, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Let's just pray quickly. Father, we thank you for... These words, we thank you for the, the, the man they describe. And we, we pray for his presence now by the Holy Spirit. We pray that we would, we would meet with the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would help us to learn from the example of this leper. And uh, we pray that you would draw near to us, that you would touch our lives. And you would touch our lives in all kinds of ways today. We pray that you would bring healing, that you would bring change, that you would bring cleansing. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Let's just look at three things that we see in the way this leper approaches Jesus. The first of them is humble desperation. Humble desperation. I see that uh, in, in the way he, he <coughs> approaches him at all in, in such a public way. Uh, it's it's the, the, the last thing that might have been expected, and it would have caused a fuss. You'll see that as we go through the story. You'll see why it's such a dramatic moment. One of the things that's worth pausing on, actually, and reflecting on first is, is this curious instruction Jesus gives. Don't talk about this. See that you say nothing to anyone, uh, in verse 4, but... Go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. What is that about? Why would Jesus tell the leper to keep this thing under wraps? It might be that, that, that we would guess at an attempt to kind of stay undercover. Is Jesus, is Jesus trying to keep, keep the whole thing quiet? Is he trying to do covert healings? Well, if he is, he's, he's bad at it, because we already know from chapter 4 that the, the, the stories of healings have spread everywhere. This whole thing has gone viral. It's way, way, way too late to cover things up. So it can't be. When you're in the midst of Jesus mania, which is definitely what it would have felt like, we're talking about crowds and crowds and news spreading and just everything you know the videos the, the tweets the, the the posts the just constant it's, it's all that anyone was talking about that can't be his hope he can't be imagining that he's going to somehow keep things quiet i don't think that's what this is about i think it's something a little bit more a little bit 
more enlightening for, for understanding what Jesus, Jesus saw as part of the human problem. He tells this man specifically to go to present himself to the priests in Jerusalem. Now that was in itself part of a, a, a instruction that comes very early in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus. There's a, an elaborate system prescribed for how lepers were to try to gain entry back into society if they got healed. And it involved the priests kind of giving them a clean bill of health, effectively. In a public, valid, legitimate way, a leper could be kind of brought back in, if you like. And so Jesus is saying, go through the right process. Do that for sure. But, but why the silence before? Why keep quiet? Don't, don't say anything until you've done that. I, I suspect that what's going on is Jesus knowing the human heart, knowing, knowing the way we tend to operate. He wants this guy to not blab about who has healed him. He wants actually for the story to speak first. He wants the power of the life change, the miracle, to speak first. And then for the priests, once they have validated, yet yeah, you, you are healed. You used to be a leper. You are now not a leper. You are an ex-leper. Here is a certificate for your wall. <laughs> Here is something with a badge on. Stick it on your fridge. You are ex-leper official. And, and they, they are prepared. That's how it would have worked. That's what should have been expected. But Jesus knows if this guy starts off by saying, Jesus healed me, Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet from Galilee who's preaching the kingdom of God amongst the poor and the, 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 out, the outcasts and the broken, I think that the priests would have been a little bit less likely to take it seriously or a little, perhaps more likely to suppress it. Because it's the kind of fake news, perhaps, they wouldn't use that term, but the kind of, we don't, really, we don't really want those stories to spread. I think that what Jesus is trying to do is say, let the story speak first. And then when these chief priests, when the, when the priests and the, 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 the authorities in Jerusalem turn to you at the temple and say, now tell us how you got healed, that's the moment to say, Jesus of Nazareth healed me. The reason this is worth pondering is because there's a clear teaching in the very words of Jesus himself in many places that however good the work Jesus is, however wonderful his healings, however merciful his miracles, there's a tendency for the human heart to be suspicious, to be skeptical, to even suppress the truth of them. Jesus says, in John chapter 3, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but the world has hated the light. The world prefers, loves the darkness because its deeds are evil. Jesus can come into town and do all manner of wonderful things. And in fact, really, that's a good summary of the story for chapters to come. Jesus doing good, doing good, doing good. In the end, what happens to Jesus? How does the, the crowd of humanity respond to Jesus? How did we treat Jesus? How did we respond to Jesus? We rejected him. He was despised and rejected. He was falsely tried and he was crucified. 
the one who only did good, the one who only loved us, was rejected and executed. And that surely says the final word about the condition of the human heart. And Jesus, knowing that, knowing that when people have got a lot to lose, when people have a kingdom of their own that they cling on to with white knuckles, with clenched fists, they're not all that eager to hear about another kingdom. They're not all that eager to embrace and receive the incoming kingdom of God through the hands and deeds and words of a, a, a marginal carpenter from Galilee. We're not all that keen on that kingdom. We have our own kingdom to hang on to. Thank you very much. Jesus knows us. He knows us. And he knows that we're biased. We don't like to think of that as our condition. We, we like to imagine ourselves fairly objective. We like to see ourselves as reasonable people, open to persuasion. But my experience, I'm sure yours has been, that, that when I talk to people about Jesus, very often their ability to engage in reasonable discussions seems to, to go out the window. It, it, it's, it's obvious more and more what's going on is, is a lot of bias, a lot of sort of heart reaction. And let's face it, let's not point fingers, wasn't that your story? It was mine. I, there was a point in my life where I, I having even grown up in a, in a godly Christian family and, and, and utterly grateful for it, even in spite of that, by the time I was about 15, there was at least a stretch in my life where the, everything I wanted in life was to avoid Jesus. I did not want Jesus, and you know what? For at least a time, I didn't. I therefore didn't want Christianity to be true. I didn't want it to be true. I didn't want this book to be true. And we tend to forget that. In all our discussions and our engagement about how true is Christianity, we forget the place of the emotions and the affections and the desires and the motives of the heart. When people reject Christianity, they often do it imagining that they're doing so on the basis of rational, cool, careful reflection. But Jesus himself said that's not what happens. The world hates the light and loves the darkness. And so we will, we will go through logical loopholes. We will find anything we can. We'll tear ourselves up and tie ourselves up in knots to avoid Jesus. Jesus knows that about us. So he says, look, let's be sneaky. Let's demonstrate the goodness of Jesus to provoke the question so that people are forced to ask, okay, okay, I see something's happened here. Tell me, tell me what happened. Tell me, tell me who this person is who healed you. And that's the time to say, Jesus of Nazareth. And there's a lesson for us practically right now. If you love Jesus, in your heart, there'll be a longing and a desire for the people in your life to, to know Jesus. There'll be a, there will be. There just will be. You'll, you'll want your family, your friends, your, your colleagues, your neighbours. You'll want them to know him. And sometimes you'll, you'll try to persuade and explain and you'll use the words that you have. And you might get somewhere. You might get quite a long way. But, but we all know that, that people can also put the shutters up. People can, can even, it seems, be put backwards by our words. It can feel like that. We feel like I've lost ground by trying to explain it. And the point to remember in all of this is the power of a life transformed 
is, is overwhelming. It can be. It can be, I should say that. Many will still stay hardened. But for many people, the thing they need in the end is to be drawn and attracted by the, the love that you demonstrate. The way you show the qualities of the Sermon on the Mount. The mercy, the forgiveness, the praying for your enemies. The kindness to those who persecute you. The purity of your heart and your motives and your unwillingness to countenance any kind of selfishness and sin. That begins to speak very powerfully, even to people who are otherwise shutting up shop and not interested. Most of us in our story, if you look back to how you became a Christian, you could probably agree with me. You'd probably say something similar. There was something you saw in a Christian or some Christians. There was something about the way they lived and the way they loved, and it kind of drew you, sometimes in spite of yourself. Sometimes it was, it was very much against what you wanted. I don't want to become a Christian. That's the last thing. But I can't help myself. Something's happening. Ah! <laughs> and you found yourself tumbling into the, to the kingdom of God because we couldn't resist. There was something beautiful about the Christians you knew. There was something lovely. And that is a powerful reminder. That's a powerful sign. And it's why we talk the way we do as a church often about how we bless people. We bless people by beginning with prayer, by listening to them, by eating with them, by serving them, and by sharing our story, sharing the story. And that process is helpful, and even the order can be helpful. Not that we shouldn't always use words when we can and aim to use words. We're not to be silent at all. That's totally the wrong point. That's not the point I'm making at all. But friends, in, in all of our dealings with the world around us, look at the wisdom of Jesus. Demonstrate. Demonstrate the kingdom. Show it through the power, through the love. And in the right context, share the story. So there's a, there's a lesson for us, whatever. But the point I wanted to come back to here before we finish and before we move on to the second and third point, the, the point I wanted to make here is that this man, this leper, he comes across like he doesn't have anything to lose. Doesn't he? He comes across as the direct opposite, it would seem, in stark contrast to the priests, even to the, the teachers of the law, to the Pharisees that Jesus has referred to in the Sermon on the Mount, P people who he would class as, as hypocrites. This leper is desperate. This leper has nothing to lose, it would seem. He is prepared to countenance great shame. He is prepared to make a scene, even. He's prepared to do the unthinkable as a leper. And just put yourself into the context for a moment so that we can see how the, the kind of gravity of the situation. This, this, this uh, idea of, of a leper, a leprosy, we do have the, the, the modern disease, Hansen's disease, and, and uh, many would say, you know, it's the same thing in the Bible. We don't know precisely whether it's exactly the same sort of strand, the same, the same thing biologically. We do know that leprosy was understood with incredible stigma. It, it was a, a, a horrifying prospect to, to come across lepers, especially at close quarters. Especially in a crowd. I mean, Matthew, Matthew, when you read him slowly, you see the drama of it. Great 
crowds followed Jesus down the mountain. So they've all been listening to the talk. They're coming out of the stadium, if you like, coming out of the theater, the cinema. They've all just streaming out. You've been in those situations. They're streaming out. And it's at this point that Matthew says in verse 2, Behold a leper. We, we read our Bibles as if, the, 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 as if they write the word behold just to remind you that this is the Bible <laughs> from time to time. You know, behold, just to remind you, I'm religious. I say the word behold for no reason from time to time. The word behold it always carries meaning. It means, seriously, this actually happened. That's what it means. It means check this, serious. That's, what my, that's his point. Behold, a leper, a leper. So you get the point, this, this is drama already. And from the writings of the time, the, the instruction would be, you're not meant to be within 150 yards. If, if the wind is blowing, if, you know, downwind, if you're, you, this, because this contagion is carried in the air, keep, keep very wide berth. And this guy would have had to not just be a, a, a visual spectacle, which he would, by the way, carefully covered in a way that was un, unmistakable, leper but audible as well. Unclean, he would have been obliged to keep saying this. Unclean, unclean, unclean. Everything about this is shameful, right? For a, for a human being made in the image of God to have to live this way, to walk publicly shouting unclean. So the thing that you are known for, the only thing that people care about when it comes to you is, is get away from them, filthy. And this man has to keep saying, unclean, unclean, look at me. Look, don't, don't, in fact, please don't look at me. But if, if, if you or I would be a step up, what, what would be our response hearing that Jesus has come to town? Jesus is, is around. This man, Jesus, is nearby. The shame of it. How, how am I going to get near Jesus? I, I, I'm going I'm to have to... I, I don't know how I'm going to... I'm just going to... People will see, people will stare, people will cover their kids' eyes, people will shriek. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't, in the end, it doesn't matter. I want Jesus. In the end, I want Jesus. <laughs> That's a Christian. Right there. That's the definition of a Christian. That's how you enter the kingdom of heaven. You say, it doesn't matter. I want Jesus. You'll come to a point in your life where that will happen, where you'll realize there are reasons, big, fat, scary reasons why you don't want to do this. You don't want to become a Christian. But in your heart, it doesn't matter. I must have him. You know, you know in the end what's important. You've learned to despise the shame. You've learned to treat shame for what it is. You've learned to say, it, it doesn't matter. That's what Jesus himself modeled when on the cross. The brightest of the Hebrews says, he, on the, he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before him. For the joy. He saw something so worth having, he was prepared to despise the shame. A Christian has to be someone who's understood what is truly shameful and what is just false shame. And this leper, he realizes, ultimately, I want Jesus. And the shame of the staring and the crowds and the horror and everything about it, the stigma, 
I'm going to have to just push through that because I want Jesus. I want Jesus. Have you got to that point? Have you, have you known something of that in your life? Where you, you say in your I just, I want Jesus. It's a, it's a powerful thing, shame. It, it creeps up on us. Isn't, you see, this leper's different. He's desperate. He's humble. He comes in public. He comes in broad daylight. You know, there are several who came to Jesus at night time. Nicodemus in John chapter 3. John makes the point. He came at night time. He's got a lot to lose. You feel that when you come to Jesus. Some of you have got a lot to lose. <laughs> some of you looked both ways before you came into church this morning. I know what that's like. It's, 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 it's a shameful thing, but this leper shows I'm, I'm desperate. I just want him. I want him. I've learned what's important. I've learned what to despise and what to treat as important. And in, in, in doing so, he's, he's being very real about himself. He knows his condition. He knows his need. He knows that he's got not a lot to boast in. He's, he's, he's genuinely brought low. And, and leprosy would, would, would do this probably. See, the, the Bible wants us to understand the nature of our need. And it would do this in all kinds of ways. The Bible speaks about it very specifically Sometimes very strongly. It can sound sometimes harsh when it talks about sin and guilt and shame. You feel like, gosh, the Bible's hard. And there's other places where it's very tender. It's very soft and gentle, but it still talks about the same things, the same problems. Guilt, shame. And sometimes it's not through its words. Sometimes it's through the ways it draws a picture. It describes where shame puts us, where our condition places us. The leper, the story of leprosy and lepers in the Bible is one of the ways the Bible does this. You see, in the, in the, in the places where leprosy is sort of described in the book of Leviticus and the way it's tested for and the priests have to check people out, the, the, the diagnosis is not the only thing. There's also the kind of how to deal with it. And effectively, the leper would have to be put outside, physically, geographically, placed outside because what? Well, because the presence of God. You can't be in the camp. We are the people of God. Moses and the priests and all of those who, who, who looked after the tabernacle, they wanted to keep this place clean, safe. And so leprosy was kept outside, kept distant. You might think, well, that's a horrible way to treat people. It's kind of, when you think about it, just the way we still treat People and places. There are places you go in this city where you wouldn't be allowed to just walk in, quite rightly. You could go to some place. You go. You get so far in the building, but you can't go any further. Go to hospitals. You'll notice that you go. You're allowed to go into some parts of hospital, and then they'll say, "Oh, you can't come in this. You definitely can't come in here. And there's no way you're ever coming in this room unless you go through training, cleansing. You need to be clothed a certain way." To change, a lot of things have to change about you before you can come in this room. You get the point. That's, that's surgeries, places of you know, intensive care, places where highly sterilized places. And God's making a point in the book of Leviticus. He's saying that there's something you need to know. I, you can't just walk in. You, you, it doesn't work like that. 
And the, the, the lepers really kind of sort of symbolized this rottenness. But it wasn't exclusive to them. They're just a picture of something that's true across humanity. The fact that this leper sees it about himself, unclean, unclean, is, is, is his difference. He knows it. He sees it. He understands it. It's the rest of us that have the problem. The rest of us don't tend to see it. We tend to blithely go through life imagining that we're as clean as we need to be because we're as clean as she is or clean as he is. I'm clean. Clean enough. Clean enough. I passed the test. If you're grading on a curve, I'm, I'm clean enough. The whole point of the leper is to say, no, you have no idea. Imagine Pharisees walking by with the lepers thinking, what a horrible, unclean, revolting person. Jesus has spent three chapters making the point that it's the other way around. This, this leper is perhaps the cleanest man other than Jesus in, in, in the crowd. Because he's seen himself. He understands. It's the Pharisees that don't get it. They don't understand. They're, they're all glossy white on the outside. Jesus said, you're like painted graves. You're all nice and clean on the inside. It's bones. Bones. Death. Death on the inside. The leper gets it. I see. I can see what I am. I can see that I'm... I'm infected, diseased, tainted. You might be thinking, how can this preacher talk? What is wrong with you? No, that's a terrible way to talk about people. It's a terrible way to talk about me. I'm not an unclean person. But friend, you you need to keep looking at the way Jesus talked. With all of his compassion and tenderness, he was so straight with us. Remember, go back a couple of pages. You've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. I tell you, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You've heard it said that you shouldn't murder. I tell you, if you call your brother a fool, if you hate him in your heart, you have committed murder. Do you still feel clean? Are you clean? No, no, friends, let's, let's, be re- let's, let's, let's learn from this leper. Okay, unclean. Very unclean. Terribly unclean. Terribly unclean. He's, he's kind of an example of self-awareness. But at the same time, and this is my second point about him, his desperation is a reflection of his self-awareness and his God-awareness. He's aware of the one he comes to. Look at the way it says he, he approached Jesus, he came to him, but it says he knelt before him, saying, Lord. He knelt before him, saying, Lord. He didn't have to kneel. He chose to kneel and say, Lord. And that speaks of something profound. Matthew wants you to know that's not incidental. A few chapters earlier, when Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan comes to tempt him, Matthew, remember there's a strand here. He's making the same point. Satan comes to Jesus and says, I'll give you everything you want if you bow down, if you kneel before me. And Jesus says, It is written, the Lord only will you worship and serve him only. Jesus is is deliberately equating bowing down before someone with worship. And Matthew's saying, that's the point. This leper, he gets who Jesus is. He gets it. He sees. I think I understand who you are. I wonder how many others in the crowd were seeing this. 
this preacher, this prophet, this healer, this amazing authority that thunders out from him. You've heard it said, but I say unto you, you're like no one else. You're like no one else. Who are you? And I think the leper's thinking, I think you're the one that split the Red Sea. I think you're the one that, that healed Naaman, the Syrian. I think, you're, I think you're the one that gave us this land. I think you're the one that made the stars and the clouds. I think that's you. So he kneels, says, Lord, Lord. He has a moment of awareness of God. And the reason I say this is because the two things go together always. Your awareness of yourself, your knowledge of yourself will always coexist with a true knowledge of God and vice versa. You can't really know yourself, not really, outside of the knowledge of God. If you want to know yourself, and everyone does, you know, and everyone does, everyone's trying to know, everyone in Brighton especially, just, I just want to get to know myself. All of us, we're passionate, we'll go backpacking, we'll do years out, we'll do whatever, we'll do early retirement, just to get to know myself. I get that, I understand that, but I've got to tell you, you're not going to get anywhere without a knowledge of God who made you for himself. You won't know yourself outside of that relationship. And you won't know God outside of a true knowledge of yourself, a true honest knowledge, an awareness of who I really am, what I really need. I can do all kinds of religion, but the true religion that's come down from heaven will tell you a lot of things about you. Maybe things that, that at first we don't want to hear. But that's, that's the truth. If we're going to get to know God, we're going to get to know ourselves. If we're going to get to know ourselves, we're going to get to know God. And that's what's happening to this man, right in front of our eyes in this story. He's getting to know, he's getting an awareness of the real God. But then thirdly and finally about him, he's showing worshipful trust. He's a, he's a, a worshipper at heart. The way he prays is really simple. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. What do you get from that, that, that line? If you're willing, you can make me clean. I think he very much hoped to be healed. I think he probably expected to be healed. I think his hopes were very high. But he still says, if. If you're willing. What's going on here is that this man is saying, in the end, I trust you. In the end, it's up to you. I believe that you are sovereign. He says, if you are willing, you can. You can. I've no doubts that you can, and I'm pretty confident you will. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure this guy would not have created the scene he's created if his hopes were not high. He came to this meeting hoping to get healed, pretty much expecting to get healed. I'm pretty sure his hopes were high. But listen to me, this is important. He still says, if you're willing. If you don't heal me, what do I say about you? I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know why you haven't healed me. But I still kneel and I say, Lord. That's worship. That's worship. When we don't understand and we say, Lord. We remember who he is. We, we, we know that he's good. 
when we remind ourselves of his goodness and we stay in a place of trust and worship, we're showing what's, what's the core of our heart. Because God will do glorious things. I pray he, I've been praying he'll do glorious things today as we come to the table, take bread and wine. I'm praying that people will be healed. I'm praying there'll be stories that will come out of today. Jesus doing re- remarkable things in our lives. But friends, honestly, ultimately, the, the thing that we most need, the thing the city most needs, the thing that God most wants is worshippers. People who in their hearts say, I trust God when I can't understand him. I, I bring my request to him and I plead and I make a fuss if necessary. I shout out, Jesus! You can make me clean. Yeah, pray, pray wholeheartedly. We've been talking about that as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. Call on him, cry to him. Make your requests to him passionately. Give him no rest, the Bible says. But have you also noticed the Bible says, if you're willing, calls us to worship and trust him. Trust him, trust in him. This is the leper. He's saying, I I, I believe you, I trust you, if you're willing. Jesus (laughs) Well, what, what, what do we find out? Jesus is sure willing. I will be clean. So what do we, what do we say about that finally? Jesus says, I will, I will heal you. I'm in a good mood today. The sermon went quite well. Uh, good crowd, good turnout. Weather's quite nice. I think, I think the guys are rustling up some pizza at the bottom of the mountain. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good today. I'm in a good place. Um, yeah, be healed, be healed. So yeah, maybe that's how we imagine it. You know, the kind of I'm willing thing is like Jesus is a kind of a fickle child. What's he in the mood for today? I think we'll have CBBS today. I think yeah, we'll have healing today. And, and you could see that as the whole point. <laughs> this is a story of Jesus kind of showing just kind of extraordinary sovereign kind of flippant power. You're missing the whole point. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. What does it cost for God to be able to say, I will be healed? Is it, is it just a touch of, is it just like a flick of the wrist? It's pretty easy. Just, I feel like healing you. Don't feel like healing you. you know, don't, like, don't like your face. I've met some lepers. Don't like them. But you, you're a nice guy. Be healed. Costs nothing. It's just fickle preference, just tastes, taste buds being affected. No, 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 friends, listen. The whole point Matthew's making here, he stretched out his hand and touched him. God has become flesh. God has become someone with a hand. It costs God incarnation. God has come to walk around with lepers. God has taken on human flesh. Paul says the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus became one of us. Jesus took that cosmically unspeakable step and walked amongst us. God, so that he could not just from a distance shout out healings to lepers, but walk up to them and do the unthinkable. Do what no one had probably done to this man Maybe all his life, certainly for years, this man had never been touched by a human. You don't do very well in life if no one ever touches you, do you? We, we need to be touched. We need to be held. 
And this man hadn't been touched. He'd known nothing but stares. Horror. Shrinking back. And God came into the world so that he could touch him. And you weren't supposed to touch him because, well, we all know what happens next. That's the whole point. You, especially, you know, the holy things, the holy places shouldn't be in touch with this, this uncleanness. We keep it away from the, the holy place. And Jesus, claiming to be holy, sent from God. What, this, is, this is appalling. What's going to happen? Imagine, you know, it was a great sermon, but too bad you touched a leper afterwards because well, he's presumably going to shrivel up. He's going to shrivel up and die. He's going to become unclean. That's what happens, right? Why didn't that happen? How come he's not unclean? In fact, watch the lepers. The, the lepers getting clean. How does this work? It, it, it's supposed, the filth is supposed to overwhelm the holy. The decay is, 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 is to be kept away so it doesn't infect the holy place. But it's, it's like the holy place is overwhelming the infection. How? How is this happening? How is Jesus not suffering? How is he not the one covered in shame? How is he not the one unclean? How is he not the one rejected and cast out? He's touched this man. That's what should happen to him, right? Right. That's exactly what did happen to him. In time, it did. In time. When the time came. When the hour came. When he said, the, the hour has come. The Son of Man will be lifted up. And he was taken outside the city like a leper. He was stripped naked and he was howled at. Spat at. Cursed at. And people said... If God is with him, let him deliver him. We'll watch. If, if he's really God's man, we'll watch. We'll just see God show up and rescue him. And no one rescued him. And he died in shame. He, he died as an embarrassment. A shocking embarrassment. Jesus took the shame. Jesus came so he could. Jesus became human, became a little innocent baby. You ever seen a baby's hands? Such a picture of innocence. None have been so close to innocence as Jesus' hand. Perfect in innocence. This perfect hand stretches out and touches this filth. And we get this story, friends, so that we can be sure. So you can be sure, however filthy, however shameful you've become however untouchable you think you are at your place of most worthless you can know there is a saviour there is a God who's come to touch you he's come to say that's mine I will take your shame I will take it with me I will Take it forever. I will bear it in my body on the cross. Forever it's gone. It's gone. It's buried forever. 
You can, you can walk out of this place today, whoever you are. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 40, 50 years. You might still wake up every day feeling just, I'm still basically a shame. I'm still basically a mess. That's what I basically am. And what you're doing then is you're saying that your shame has more authority than the voice of Jesus. It's more authoritative than the one who says, I am willing, be clean. So I tell you, be like this leper again. Be a bit desperate. Be humble. Remember who you are. Remember who he is. And come to him today. Come to him again. Come to the table. Say, Jesus, I'm unclean. But you can make me clean. You can. And he does. He does. He does. He does. And some of you, some of you today, this is what you need. This is what Brighton needs. This is what we long for, right? This is the only hope for us. You must have you must have Jesus. Have you got Jesus? Have you found him? Have you come into contact with this one? If, if you haven't, you must today. Have you found Jesus yourself? I don't mean your husband or wife has, or your kids have, your parents have. I didn't say that. Have you? Have you come like this leper? Have you met him yourself? And are you meeting him every day? Let's just pray right now. Jesus, we are grateful that we can approach this holy one with all of our mess and we do choose to bow down Lord we, we choose to trust you when we don't understand when we don't really know what you're doing we trust that you are the saviour you are the good God and we, we put our, our trust in you and we ask you, each one of us, Lord God, come and, come and meet with us. I pray now as we come to the table that you would help us to refuse shame, to turn away from it, to despise it, because we belong to the resurrected Savior, the, the one who's justified, who's righteous. And we are righteous in him.